Well, we brought you this story yesterday. South African farmers are being forced from their land after being beaten and tortured for no reason other than the colour of their skin. Despite more than 400 recorded farm attacks in the past year, the South African government has turned a blind eye, even subtly promoting attacks with new legislation. The country's parliament has now overwhelmingly voted to seize land without compensation from white farmers. This has been going on for decades since the end of apartheid. It's horrific and terrifying. News Corp Australia Network chief reporter Paul Tui has gone to South Africa and spoken to some of the victims and he's seen the devastating aftermath firsthand. He joins me on the line now from Darwin. Hi, Paul. Hi, Miranda. That really was an incredible piece that you wrote along with the photographs from Gary Ramage uh, published over the weekend about these deadly attacks. Can you just share with us some of the stories of the victims who you met in South Africa? Yeah, sure. So we, we, we met a, a, a woman who was, saw her husband shot dead uh, between the eyes in front of her and one of her children. This attack happened on a, a chicken holding out of Pretoria, um, just a small farm. Um, she's had, at the time, she was very heavily pregnant with her fourth child, who was um, born five days after her, mm. after his father died. Um, so we, we, we met a woman in Kimberley, in central South Africa, who in January was... Um, her and her partner, an 84-year-old man, were visited in the night by four men who, um, well, they, they did some atrocious things. They, they beat this... They, they wanted access to this guy's safe. They beat him so badly that um, he couldn't actually remember the combination to the safe. And, and as that went on, the more confused he, came, he became, the more he got belted, while Ricky, his partner, the woman... She was digitally penetrated by one of these guys. She was um, burned with a clothing iron. Her her partner, Pete, was burned with a clothing iron to the point where his skin was uh, coming off. And um, spoke to her the other day, and her partner is still in ICU after all this time. Uh, We we met a woman who was, in December, uh, given a choice to be shot or raped by three men Mm. who... Did so. Um, she is now um, waiting to find out whether she's HIV positive, which mm-hmm. in, in South Africa is, you know, there's a fair good, fairly good chance. But, but all, all of these people that we spoke to, and there were, there were more than that, uh, they were so matter of fact about their stories, and it was you could almost see that the trauma hadn't really been addressed. Mm. Gosh, and and these are not rich people, are they? I mean, they're just hardworking. Farmers. Look, there's a combination. In those three examples I gave you, I'd say there'd be poor, middle class, and and wealthy. Mm. The, the, the the gamut. And I mean, what what can those people do? Can they leave, or presumably all their wealth is tied up in their farms, and no one will buy them anymore? Yeah, well, that, <clears throat> that's right. There's been threats by um, a particular organisation that any don't sell your farms because should, I should say. Don't buy the farms because the farms are stolen. But with a with a very low rand at the moment and a government, it, it's not yet law, but it's, the motion has been passed that they will move towards these seizures. I mean, who who on earth would buy a farm knowing that 
And um, South Africa's parliament has voted in favour of confiscating land from white farmers. What's their reasoning? Look, the, the reasoning, I guess, is that it was, it was a stolen under colonialism and apartheid. But, you know, they only need to look north to their nearest neighbours, Zimbabwe, to see what's happened there and to know this is just, just craziness to, to do this. And I, I believe part of the reason they're moving towards this is that South Africans, black and white, are now aware that the African National Congress is not their only choice. There are other parties emerging, like the Democratic Alliance, which I think is the second second biggest party. And so this this move, I believe, is is an attempt at, at to sort of at populism to tell the entire country, well, here you go, you can have some land for free. Right. So it's just being used as a kind of a populist vote appeal, voter appeal. That, that's what I suggest is partly behind it, yeah. And so since the rhetoric from the politicians and since Parliament's debated and voted on this, have the number of farm attacks risen? It, um, According to AFRI Forum, a, a group I dealt with who tries to raise awareness, and I have to say very unsuccessfully most of the time about this, there's a direct correlation in what um, politicians what announcements politicians make and farm attacks. And there, you can see that directly from the month of February when this motion was passed. Um, last year, between one or two farmers were killed every week. Um, in February, as this was happening, that just jumped up to, to two a week. Mm. And a number of farm attacks, which looks set to become a record for South Africa if it keeps on track. Mm. And as you said, the future is there to see in Zimbabwe. I mean, that, that place is now a basket case. Yeah. Um, so why you would want to do this, apart from uh, securing popular voter appeal in South Africa, is beyond me. It's going to frighten foreign investment. It's not going to improve the RAND whatsoever. And, it's going to cause, and it is causing a humanitarian crisis within South Africa. So are the farmers and their families willing to stay and fight or do they want to leave the country? Look, it's a mix. Um, some some are very determined. One guy we met had been shot three times just two days before we met him and had survived it. He, his view was he was determined to stay and fight. He wasn't going to let anyone take his land. But the, uh, for other people, they have to stay um, because they... They can't sell their farms. I mean, the farm, their farm's currently worthless. Mm. Um, so they're in a very, very difficult position. So what kind of future do you think is in store for South Africa and especially for white South Africans? Well, I think unless the international community um, leans on South Africa, particularly this new government of Cyril Ramaphosa, the, the future is extremely grim. I mean, 70% of the farms are white-owned. Um, and that may be un- unpopular with, with the black majority. However, they they do provide the produce to South Africa. Um, well, so that's right. Like Zimbabwe used to be the breadbasket of Africa, and now it's it's you know all those farms have fallen into disrepair. Yeah. So so people people farmers tend not to, even though they have their own you know highly highly valuable sets of skills. They don't typically meet the sort of migration skill sets required by a country like Australia, and they're older. 
which makes it harder for them to migrate. But um, don't you think that they should be considered as part of our refugee intake? I mean, if if getting raped and murdered and bashed and forced off your land is not persecution, I don't know what is. No, look, I, I absolutely, absolutely think so. I mean, technically a refugee should be out of their country before they claim they're refugee. But I think as far as our humanitarian visa intake, absolutely. Now, you've actually contacted those uh, various uh, human rights organisations from the Human Rights Commission, the Refugee Council of Australia, Australian Lawyers for Human Rights. What sort of a response did you get? Um, zero. Zero response. That's incredible, Paul, really, considering these people are constantly lecturing to us about our moral failure when it comes to, you know, refugee and humanitarian policy. Well, that's right. And just, just because the people who come under attack happen to be white, that ought not make them exempt from our concern. You also got a response from uh, Geoffrey Robertson QC, who's uh, a self-proclaimed renowned human rights lawyer. Yeah, so, so Robertson's view is that it is unconstitutional to take land without um, compensation. However, the problem with that is part of what they're planning here is to alter the constitution of South Africa to take land without uh, compensation. And if they succeed in that, and they certainly have the numbers to do so, and I'm, I presume they'd need a referendum to do, do so, um, well, nothing, nothing could stop them. Well, isn't that typical of a lawyer? And now what about uh, Foreign Minister Julie Bishop, Immigration Minister Peter Dutton? Any, any uh, movement on, in that department? I had a conversation with Dutton's people. There was there was um, not much movement there. Um, they seem to have not heard of it much, even though Ramaphosa's um, statements uh, I thought were pretty much in plain view. Mm. Um, uh, Julie Bishop's um, didn't didn't issue a statement, even though she comes from a South African. Well, her, her electorate of Curtin in in Perth is very much a South African stronghold. She simply urged the um, the government not to do anything that promoted violence. Well, isn't that terrible? I mean, what about sanctions against the government as we did? You know, don't don't play. I mean, it hurts them, but hurts people who aren't doing anything wrong. But don't play cricket with them. Don't play rugby with them until they stop persecuting these poor farmers. Well, I think think um, I think that's the conversation that they need to start having. I mean, mm. they're going to be here for the Commonwealth Games. Pretty pretty soon. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think what has to happen is is that Australia. I mean, we are closely connected to South Africa. We have long-standing relationships. There's some 200,000 South African-born people here, plus 40,000 or so Zimbabweans. Um, you know, we we have a duty to speak out, and that's what we should be doing in the first instance, but before sanctions. And encourage, encouraging this government to speak out within its own country um, to defend these people. Absolutely. Because if, if this keeps on going, I'm not sure what's going to happen, except the land will, like, like Zimbabwe, uh, lay time. Mm. Well, Paul, thank you for joining me and thank you for your very disturbing but excellent reporting there from South Africa. Thanks a lot, Moran. That's News Corp Australia Network Chief Reporter Paul Tui.
News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. Podcast from.